0: Hey everybody, it's Trags and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome the voice of the Boston Red Sox on the WBEI Red Sox Radio Network, the one and only Will Fleming. He does a fantastic job along with a cohort of others. Follow him on Twitter at all one word, Will Fleming. That's two L's and two M's. How you doing, Will?
1: Trags, I'm great. Uh, We really appreciate you carrying the torch for the Sox in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, it's not been the best few days, but big picture, the Red Sox still, I think, in much better position than most of us thought they would be. So, uh, you know, I think from a 35,000 foot view, everything's great. Plus, every day I get to drive to Fenway Park. So I will not, you will not hear me complaining for one second on this pod
0: you will only hear me complaining when uh upon said drive to uh, fenway park uh the connection drops out and we have to do this again uh that's an inside joke for those listening of course we want to get this podcast as perfect as possible because our listeners in red sox nation deserve no less than perfection because that's what red sox fans have always expected from their hometown nine right will you know that uh-
1: I do know that. And I think the people of Brookline just eliminate all cell phone towers in their town. So you just can't get from anywhere south into Boston without seven interruptions. Uh, But uh, I'm happy to do it over again. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's a it's a real honor.
0: Will, you are a good sport. Now, uh, you have minor league roots, and you can appreciate it, uh, appreciate what it is for an organization to have tremendous depth that is ready to contribute, right? You know, you have a very good comprehensive understanding, given your work at various levels of the minor leagues, and now uh, at the major league level. Part of Heim Bloom's charge from ownership was to rebuild that depth, but keep the major league roster competitive. I would say at 39 and 27, through whatever that is, I got to do the math right away. That's uh, 58 games? 66. (laughs) 66 games. Jeez, I'm terrible.
1: 66 (laughs) games. I think he's done a pretty good job of it. You? No question. Well, first of all, I think at the big league level, the fringe moves they've made to bring on Arroyo and Renfro and even back to last year with Pavetta and Richards this week, notwithstanding, clearly Bloom knows what he's doing. I mean, he he wins every trade that that he is a part of. So that's, that is very encouraging for Red Sox fans. As far as the minor league depth, I think that the rankings right now don't reflect the work that he's done because there wasn't a season last year. So we didn't see a lot of the guys, he brought in in some of these moves. And so I think, say, like 20 to 30 or even 15 to 30 for the Red Sox in a top rankings are much, much, much better guys like Rosario and Potts and people that folks have not really heard about. Now, this year, the depth has been uh, decimated by injury with Hauk down and Mata and Seabold and now Thad Ward going down to have Tommy John. I think that that is a concern. But there's no question that 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 lifeblood of the organization is real, And to your point of, of knowing what that means, I, you know, you don't have to just look at Tampa Bay, but look at what the Dodgers build and Andrew Friedman is high and blooms sort of mentor. Uh, that's the idea here where cheap controllable talent is the order of the day in big league baseball. So you don't have to pay everybody $25 million. And so if you get the pipeline going, where you can get guys who are ready to come up and contribute and be on those rookie young deals, uh, that that's the way to win sustainably. And I do think they're on the right track to do that
0: so and i'll look at it another way when these rankings come out and i you know mlb.com and uh, milb.com do a tremendous job uh of really evaluating the talent uh, in each organization and how quickly said talent it would be ready to contribute i think the way heim bloom looks at looks at his minor league talent this year is how many of the top pieces might be ready to contribute? Because what you've heard in the last week or two is that, is this the time for Jaron Duran to give the Red Sox uh, lineup a boost of offensive energy that it might be needing? Well, you look at Jaron Duran, you look at uh, Jeter Downs and you look at Tristan Casas. Of those three players, it's assumed, I guess, that Duran is most ready from uh, AAA Worcester. What, What do you think?
1: Yeah, no question. And I think there's still some work to be done, by the way. And I think the Red Sox think that, too. I mean, the power numbers are, are eye opening. And, you know, he went on to this Olympic qualifying team and everybody from Mike Socia to Todd Frazier said he was basically the most impressive player on the team. And he's an impact player at the big league level today. And I think that's true. But I also think the Red Sox are being very smart. And Haim Bloom believes that so deeply in the process of development. And it, it's pitchers not not skipping steps and not skipping developmental levels. But with a position player like Tan, uh, like Jaron Duran, the, the defense does need improvement. And if you look a little deeper, the strikeout numbers are still a little bit alarming. Some of the contact stuff can be a little bit of a problem. But there's no question they have a real special player. The question just becomes, uh, when is the right time to do it? And And, you know, I think... Let's say the Rays went crazy and, and the Red Sox found themselves seven or eight games back in, in a couple weeks' time. Maybe maybe then you push a little harder and say, we got to try this and figure this out. I don't think they're there yet. I, I think in some ways, the fact that you play better and you're above expectations early in the season gives you a little time to be patient and to let Jaron struggle down there, uh, have a slump, come out of it, because you don't really want to learn how to struggle at the major league level. We've seen so many examples of how that is just not the ideal way to do it. So there's no, uh, he's close. I think it could be any time now, frankly, but I don't think it's like Alex Cora and Haim Bloom are having conversations every day about, is today the day that Jaron Duran comes up? I would say sometime around the All-Star break would be a fair uh, marker to say, let's let's go see what this kid can do.
0: All right, Uh, Ryan Weber was recalled, uh, excuse me, he was uh, sent down, uh, DFA'd on Monday. And speaking of one of the players that uh, I, I think had some trouble, not initially, um, certainly initially, he had an incredible power surge. Michael Chavis was recalled on Monday. But then once the pictures and once the organizations caught up to Chavis, uh, he really fell off quite a bit. Now, is do you think he's ready to start to maybe have that second or third surge where he's adjusted on his own, made, and the coaching staff and the Uh, organization has worked with him enough where he can become a real part of uh, contributing in, you know, as we look towards the second half of the season.
1: I think that's to be determined. I I mean, I think Michael, I think we in, in baseball world want everyone to be a perfect player because you get used to Xander Bogarts and Rafi Devers and Vladdy Guerrero and Shohei Otani and not everybody is that. And there is no question that Michael still needs to work on catching up to high fastballs. It is just a glaring problem for him. And he sees it all it, it's them, right? I mean, either, not to Either interrupt. way. Yeah. Yes. Either way, you know, just fix that problem because he's just not going to see anything else until it's the big leagues. That's it, he, In a big spot, we already saw it earlier this year, you know, one run game in the eighth inning, runners on third, one out, and he just gets three high fastballs and is easily struck out. So there is work to be done there. But having said that, Mike, I... He can do a lot of things to help you. He does show defensive versatility. He's an energy kind of player. I think in some ways, his personality, although he's not for everybody, is really good coming off the bench. He bounces off the walls. He can give, put a jolt into one and really kind of wake a crowd up with a big home run. So, I mean, I don't know that he's some, you know, play 140 games and be a huge part of your plan going forward, but he can help you. And he's here. And I think every time he comes up. There's an opportunity that he'll offer a couple of big moments and and hit a couple of balls out of the ballpark. So, I'm happy that he gets another look. I, I think that everyone deserves all all the chances they can get. And uh, you know, he's still a young kid with relatively little experience at the big league level. And and hopefully he can fix that hole and swing.
0: So I've had uh, Ian Brown and Rob Bradford, Bradfo, your esteemed yes. colleague in the booth. Um, that you tolerate so graciously. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I've had them both on. And what what we've talked about is you knew what you were getting from your star players. You've got great production. Obviously, I think Xander uh, Bogarts right behind uh, Shea Otani is an MVP candidate. I mean, I think Otani would be leader in the clubhouse, right? I mean, I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. But Bogarts, Devers, and J.D., you knew what you were getting coming into the season they have delivered where the offense and the order gets intriguing to me is when you get into verdugo who i think has been what they've needed uh certainly playing left field uh, and he can also play other parts of the outfield but bobby dahlbeck hunter renfro kiki hernandez coming back from injury and christian arroyo those guys and christian vasquez I think a lot of what the second half of the season is going to be in terms of how close the Red Sox stay is going to fall on their shoulders simply because the pitching staff, at least the rotation, doesn't figure to be the strength of this team.
1: I think there's no question, you're right, that the depth of the lineup is going to determine how far this goes. And we'll see. I'm sure we can talk about the starting rotation and whether they go out and add a piece or two. I, I do tend to think they're going to do that especially after some of the depth hits they've taken in the minor leagues. I think they'll make a move for a starting pitcher or two and probably a bullpen armor or two. But I do think that the ultimate long-term success of this offense depends on Dahlbeck, Renfro, Vasquez, and Arroyo. And obviously, Kike Hernandez, especially if he's going to keep in that leadoff spot. I think Alex Verdugo is the most underrated player on this Red Sox team. I mean, I I really think he's so important. I
0: agree with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's just important to everything they do. He sets the table. He's so good in front of those big hitters. He plays really well out in left field. I hope he plays nowhere else ever at Fenway Park. He is an absolutely fabulous left fielder in front of that wall, the monster at Fenway Park. What you do on the road, uh, you know, you could, you could convince me that you could maybe mix it up. But I, I like the Verdugo, Hernandez, and Renfro look left to right. Uh, it's very encouraging to me what Bobby Dahlbeck has started to do. I mean, he's choked up on the bat. He's shortened the swing. Alex Cora thinks definitively that watching the Astros at Fenway and down in Houston for seven games in a two-week stretch changed his offense. And I have a hard time disagreeing with him because I think the approach of the Altuves, Correas, uh, Alvarez, of the Bregmans of the world is eye-poppingly, beautiful to watch and they don't try to hit the ballpark ball out of the ballpark every time. And yet they just do it anyway. And I think that that's such a good approach for guys like Dahlbeck and Renfro and Hunter Renfro has been one of the stories of this season. I think, I mean, I think that high and bloom uh, has been proven to be a very savvy personnel, man. And what Renfro has done in sports, there, there have been games and there was a week or two there where the Red Sox would not have stayed above water. Had they not gotten the contributions they got from Hunter Renfro when JD and Xander and Devers went kind of underground a little bit, he's been hugely important, but yeah, you need, you look at these great lineups, Mike, and whether it's the guy we're it's recency bias. I know that because we've seen them all lately, but Houston is awesome because they got nine good hitters and so are the Blue Jays and they don't even have George Springer yet. You need guys to support and be there because Bogarts, Devers, Martinez cannot do it every day. And I do think there are enough pieces here in different ways to get hot. If you just get four or five guys who are swinging it in nine, I think that's a good formula to you know get near that hundred win mark with the with the offense that they have.
0: Speaking with Will Fleming, the play by play voice of the WEEI Red Sox Radio Network. Hey, sports fans, bet online. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season, of course, is now in full swing, and you can track all of the action at BetOnline. Get all of the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and of course, all of your UFC MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds it is the very best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up for the next pitch head on over to bet online on your laptop or even your mobile device of course who doesn't do that nowadays and take advantage of the 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in on all of the action don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. online, your online sportsbook experts. Back with the one and only Will Fleming. We talked about the lineup before um, our break there. Now we're going to talk about the pitching. And the pitching to me, Will Fleming, is the concern of the Red Sox, both in the starting rotation and the depth of the bullpen. Now, I, I would say the depth of the bullpen has been very good. Uh, to spectacular at times and I don't think very few pictures in baseball can put out the numbers that matt Barnes has put out this year he's got he's 14 of 16 in save uh, opportunities two and one 263 uh, era but the era and as a reliever as you know is not as relevant as uh, the save opportunities and his whip and uh, you know strikeouts to walks and um, my concern though is with the starting rotation and what heim bloom can do to address it
1: yeah, I mean, I think there's no question the move is needed before long because of some of the lack of depth. And I, I think this is, this is about where we thought they would be on balance at the beginning of the year. They were the story of the season, the starting rotation was, for two months because everyone pitched well, basically. After Garrett Richards got over a hiccup for the first month, he started dealing. Pavetta has been a revelation until he gave up the four home runs to these Blue Jays uh, a couple of days ago. I think Martin Perez is Martin Perez, right? And you know who he is, and he's had a couple bad ones in a row, but he's also very valuable in that he comes to post every five days, and he generally is going to get you five or six innings. That's the um, key
0: this, these days, if, if you're asking me, especially with bullpens being uh, asked and relied upon uh, to face more situations earlier in games, you've got to get the innings. If you can get the innings, you'll live with, believe it or not, a four-and-a-half to five ERA.
1: No question. And I think the Red Sox, that was their formula and everybody gave them five or six and everybody was at about a three, five to a four five. You're going to win a lot of games that way. Um, they need Eddie Rodriguez to figure it out a little bit. Who knows what's going on with him? He's just not the ace that they need him to be, whether it's, you know, still kind of some lingering effects from the myocarditis or, or just a year off away from pitching and not having the arm strength that he normally did. I mean, the velocity's back. They changed his change up his last couple of times. I think that's been a really good weapon for him. Uh, Evaldi is Evaldi. You know, I mean, he can, he can overpower the world, uh, but you can't expect him to be an ace. Cause that's, that's not what they signed him to be, even though, you know, it sounds crazy. signing a guy for almost $70 million to, to not be an ace, but that's not his role on this team. And then of course the big gorilla is, is Chris sale. When can he contribute? Uh, they're obviously being patient, but I think that they're starting to see some signs that maybe Chris sale could really, really help this team down the stretch, but I, I'm with you, Mike. I think, two, two bullpen arms, at least probably because they're in such a big and tough division that every night it feels like is an important and close game. And we all know that you need the high leverage guys. And it feels like right now between Taylor and Adovino and God knows Matt Barnes is like the elite closer in the game right now, but they've got that, that sort of part of it figured out. It's just that they're if you're playing games every day, like you do a lot of these medium to high leverage situations come up. And I just think they're one or two arms away from guys that the door of the bullpen swings open, they walk onto the mound, you feel like it's going to be a lockdown inning. So I think they're probably searching for a couple out there. And I really do expect, everybody wants starting pitching at the deadline, but I really think the Red Sox are going to be in a position to add an arm or two.
0: Yeah, uh, in our first take of this podcast, uh, you brought up a uh, great point about uh, the uniqueness of what the Red Sox might be able to do um, that you don't see every year at the trade deadline.
1: Yeah, I think, Mike, that uh, they're really well positioned financially now that they've reset their tax and now that they do have as much money and as many resources as any team in the in the big leagues. I think something to watch for at this trading deadline with all the CBA uncertainty and with the pending labor strife and with the COVID year where a lot of teams lost a lot of money. I think the Red Sox could be in a position to acquire one of the huge big fish who's got a big contract. And to get prospects on top of it, because I think a lot of teams are going to be looking to shed payroll, shed money, just kind of say, let's get through this season and reset once we figure out what the CBA looks like, what our new TV deal looks like, what revenue sharing is going to be. I actually think that Red Sox fans should be super optimistic and excited for this trade deadline, because I think they're in a spot to get really creative and to leverage some of their heft and make some big moves.
0: Um, Any names come to mind?
1: Well, I I certainly think a guy who currently pitches for the Washington Nationals would look really good in a Red Sox uniform. I mean, I just think it's like the number one perfect fit. Now, who knows what it'll take? You know the Yankees will be in on him. Every team in baseball that's in this thing. He could be the Verlander from a few years ago. I think Max Scherzer, wherever he ends up, could literally tip the scales in the entire thing, which is why you would hope they would be totally aggressive and go do it. Because you can't tell me that if you add Max Scherzer to this Red Sox, Sox rotation and Chris sale comes back and Eddie is anywhere close to Eddie Rodriguez. You think you'd like to ride into October with that team? I would. And so who knows the price lately, these teams have wised up. You don't have to give up your top prospects to get even the biggest number one free agent target. So the market is cooled as teams kind of figure out what, what players are worth at the deadline as rentals. I think that the red Sox will make phone calls on that. And uh, can you imagine the buzz at Fenway park? And you just, you, you and I both watched him enough. He's the ultimate competitor. I think he would embrace everything that is that this city is about. And I, I, I just think it is absolutely a perfect fit.
0: So I, I got to tell you, when Heim Bloom and the Red Sox ownership took a lot of grief, they took a lot of shit for the whole um, tweet out of you know, the, the big reset. And they even you know, retracted a little bit themselves. I didn't see a big problem with that because the organization is acknowledging, hey, look, we've got to reset where we are. And there seemed to be this initial uh, knee-jerk reaction even by the Red Sox themselves that, uh-oh, we said it, we said it, we're going to do it. Well, there's yeah, there's no problem with doing that if you go out and rebuild your team. You, we, we all know you have the resources. You're going to be rebuilding quickly. It's This isn't going to be the Twins or the Reds or the Pirates or the Royals. It's not going to be three to five years. It's going to be overnight. And that's the position. Now the Red Sox are in they are in a very strong position.
1: Well, I agree with you, Mike. I just think that uh, I, we all know the rules of the game and they are such that it was the right thing to do in a lot of ways to reset the number. And now you go out and you can be aggressive. And anybody who's paid any attention to this ownership group, who, by the way, has won four world championships in 15 years. If you don't think they're going to spend money, you're not paying attention and you're not being fair. You can say whatever you want about the owners of this operation. They spend money and they've won. Now, having said that, I think to your question about the tweet, I think that was mostly in town about some lingering anger about the loss of Mookie Betts. This is not, this is not about the CBT fans, love Mookie and they're pissed that he's gone. And by the way, I think they have the right to do that. Even if you and I could spend another full hour talking about whether or not Mookie would ever be here and whether he was going to stay. I think that's a total I point flip.
0: I'll say on the record, I don't think he wanted to stay in Boston. I really don't. But that's I don't, another you know, I don't, I don't think you're off base day.
1: saying that. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I, I, that, that's where what I feel. And, you know, I think the Red Sox have done uh, by their fans this year the best that they possibly could. Obviously, they also had to, you know, face a PR, I hate to say hit, but they had to take some PR flack for Alex Verdugo for a little bit. They did. They paid the price. Obviously, their manager had to pay a PR price. He did that right away in spring training, took full accountability, full responsibility. And, you know, I think it just goes to show you when you take accountability and you, you acknowledge everything, you can move on.
1: I'm with you. And I think Alex core is the perfect manager for this team. And if they hadn't run him back, that would have been malpractice. So I'm with you. I think they've, they've paid their penance and have been very forthright about everything that's gone wrong here. Uh, and now they've got a new kind of direction and a group that I think Red Sox fans are going to really like down the stretch here. I mean, uh, it's just a fun group of characters and I, I think they got the perfect manager running the show.
0: I really do too. Now, I wanted to ask you uh, in closing here about your minor league days, some of your highlights, and the fact, and you brought this up uh, with me in uh, take one uh, that you had quite a few brethren, uh, have a, quite a few brethren uh, in the minor leagues who are now at major league uh, ballparks, one of which I listen to on a nightly basis here in Cincinnati, the one and only, the irrepressible John Sadak, who has more. Um, data recall that I've ever heard from any broadcaster
1: in my life ever. (laughs) John's a freak and he's a very dear friend of mine. And I'm, I'm so happy for him. You know, it's, I think that the journey in the minor leagues was, um, it's, it's a wild one, for sure. You make so many sacrifices, you make no money, you're riding buses, and you're just chasing this almost impossible dream, this golden ticket that, I mean, it, it, when it pays off, it is, it's almost unimaginably great. But there are so many days when you don't think it's going to come and when you're, you know, really, really struggling. And it, one of the things that gets you through, at least it was for me, was the relationships I had with guys like John. And and in my days in the minor leagues with Ben Wagner and with Jason Benetti and with Kevin Brown. I mean, it is a fraternity. Um, and all of us are going for the same jobs but not being competitive with each other because we're, we' it's the only way to survive. It's like your closest allies and friends. Every city I would go into, I would I would be with those guys almost every night. They're, they, they're like an extended family for six months, and no one else could understand the sacrifices we were making. No one else could understand the aspiration and the dreams. and and, and by the way, I knew this at the time. I mean, when we were in the International League North and Jason was in Syracuse and John was in Scranton and, and I was doing the Paw Sox games at the time, I, I, and Josh Wetzel, by the way, who still does the Rochester Red Wings, should be in the major leagues 10 years ago. He's that good. We knew that, that there was some talent there. It's just that this thing, this world, this job is so luck-driven and so crazy that you just might not ever get the right breaks. But I'm so happy that the Reds had the foresight to do what they did and to bring on John because so many of these teams now, I think would probably go for a big ticket, you know, national name. They didn't do that. And I think Reds fans are going to love John for four decades. I mean, he's just a, he's a really special talent. He's brilliant. Uh, he'll get so into it. The fans there are lucky to have him. So uh, it just makes me smile to see my friends uh, live in the dream that I've that I'm fortunate to be able to live myself. It's a, uh, they helped me get through the minor leagues and uh Hopefully, we're going to spend a lot of nights together in big league ballparks.
0: So when I uh, was in the New York Penn League, I had the occasion to run across Well, I was doing the Watertown Indians, obviously, the New York Penn League affiliate of Cleveland at the time. This was uh, 1991. Uh, Donna Orsillo was uh, in Utica, and uh, the one and only Jim Jackson was uh, in Utica. What did I say? You, uh, Jim Jackson was not in Utica. He was somewhere else can't remember and Don was in Utica. I can't remember where Jim Jackson was but the three of us uh, formed a bond down there in the New York Penn League and it was just tremendous.
1: Yeah, it's, it's friendships you'll never forget and, and uh, you know to see their families now have the opportunity to benefit from all the sacrifices they made. I mean you know all of us have parents and wives and children who put up with so much in bus rides and, and uh, you know, under, being underpaid for, for 10 years basically um it, to, to see them reach the ultimate uh you know peak is, is very rewarding
0: and I gotta tell you I love listening to you and the job you do on the WEI Red Sox uh podcast I'm not just uh throwing that out there I'm not just giving you lip service you do a tremendous job Will and you deserve to be where you are.
1: Trags I appreciate it I you know J- Jill makes it easy for me and um I, I think that all the years in the minor leagues um were worth it and they they've teach you how to broadcast baseball which is uh it, its own art form uh and none of us are ever going to fully get there but all those reps all those years and and truly uh to be able to sit next to joe who's been doing it now for 40 years here and the generosity and selflessness that he offers me uh is is really hard to put into words i'm, I'm just indebted to him and to everybody who, who gave me this opportunity and uh it, it, I, I gotta tell you this last week as fans have come back to fenway park I always knew that uh, I was the luckiest person ever to be doing what I'm doing right now. But as, as we've all gone through this COVID year, there's something even more special about Fenway. There's something even more spiritual about it. When these big moments come up and, and 30,000 people are coming, there's a certain richness and happiness and community civic joy behind it, that um, it's, it's impossible to not have the, the hair stand up on the back of your neck and uh, we are looking so forward to another three months of meaningful games where the Red Sox are in this race in the AL East and, and bringing Boston and Fenway back together.
0: I think we definitely saw that with the Bruins in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. They're unfortunately uh, all too short run that ended against the Islanders. And I think you're right. We will see that with the fans at Fenway for the rest of 2021. Well, I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast and thank our terrific guest. Will Fleming of the WEI Red Sox Radio Network does an incredible job, along with Joe Castiglione and others on the WEEI Red Sox Radio Network. You can follow Will on Twitter at Will Fleming, all one word, two L's and two M's,
1: correct, Will? That's it. We call the 1M Fleming's Fleming, where I come from. So thanks so much, Trags. It's an honor to be on with you, and uh, we're looking forward to a fun summer.
0: I want to thank our great sponsor, also as well, BetOnline.ag. For Will Fleming. I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.